0: Our Livestock Guardian Dogs for the Birds, with thousands of acres, 10 species of pastured livestock, and furred and feathered predators to contend with, there's no better place to find out than at White Oak Pastures in Georgia. Jenny Harris is here to give us her thoughts on dogs for protecting and defending against birds. Welcome to Farm Dog. This is Farm Dog, the podcast about the working dogs of farming, ranching, homesteading, and rural living. Farm Dog is presented by Goats on the Go, a national network of independent business owners who provide sustainable weed and brush control for their customers using goats. Want to put goats to work on your vegetation problem? Interested in launching your own goat grazing business? The place to start is goatsonthego.com. Welcome back to Farm Dog. This is your host, Aaron Steele, and I am thrilled to be joined today by Jenny Harris, who is the Director of Marketing at a farm that some of you may be familiar with, White Oak Pastures out of Bluffton, Georgia. Uh, White Oak employs lots of dogs, and we're going to have plenty of time to talk about that. But first, I would just love it, Jenny, if you'd tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family and the operation that you helped to lead there in, in Georgia.
1: Great, right. well, thank you for having me, Erin. I really do appreciate it. Uh, so like you said, my name is Jenny Harris and I am a member of the fifth generation of Harrises to make a living on our farm in Southwest Georgia. Uh, our farm is called White Oak Pastures uh, and we are about 180 miles south of Atlanta, about 80 miles uh, east of Tallahassee um and so we are in the rural south uh, we pasture raise and hand butcher 10 species of livestock it looks a lot like noah's ark uh wow. so grass-fed cattle goats sheep chickens turkeys ducks geese guineas hogs and rabbits um and so then you we picture
0: you put your fingers up do you do you have to I do have that to, to this I day to. You, yes, you should, yes. for those of our our audience who are just listening on audio she counted them out with her fingers so you cannot add one more species can you you don't have the fingers for not it.
1: not not unless we retire an existing one <laughs> okay. showing our toes we're, none of us are that flexible harrisons <laughs> are not doing um but we we pasture raise those species on the farm, and then we hand butcher them. So we talk a lot about resiliency in our food production system. Uh, and so we we built our own processing facilities on the farm, and uh, and then we sell those through our website, but also through grocery stores like Whole Foods and which is a national chain, Publix, which is kind of just down here in the southeast, and then Kroger supermarket. So we've got a few avenues, but, uh, we're, we're certainly farmers, uh, you know, in the beginning and in the end.
0: Great. That will help us a lot in our conversation, but I wonder if you could tell us a little more about the on the ground, um, pasture-based system that you use, what that means in terms of acreages of paddocks, pasture rotations. Do you rotate all your animals according to the same schedule, all of those 10 species? Just how does that work?
1: That's a great question and, and a very complex one. So the way we farm is not with focus on the land or not with focus on the animal, but with focus on the land and the animal. You know, back before my dad made this big transition into a pasture-based program, uh, he only uh, moved livestock or did things for the animals. You know, we we were a monoculture of just cattle. And if the cattle were light he'd feed more grains or if he if they were sick he'd give them more antibiotics or if they were slow gr- growing he'd give them more growth hormones you know, it was all about the animal all about the cow that the grasses that he planted were grazed specifically by cattle uh, the shade infrastructure was only to support cattle uh, it was all about the cow and when he he focused on the fact that in nature there are no monocultures there is no just one thing you know nature abhors a monoculture i think is what george washington carver said and and george washington carver continues to be one of our heroes he really figured things out you know when you study nature there isn't squirrel woods and bird woods Mm -hmm. and deer woods and possum woods there are woods and there are squirrels and deer and possum and raccoon and insect and you know whatever else that coexist in symbiosis with each other and we've we've you know we're slow learners so we've had a very slow progression into focusing on that but now instead of just focusing on the cow or just focusing on the animal we focus on the land the animal uh and our community what 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 can our what can our, our staff handle And that looks different per species. So, you know, in the warm season, the cattle move almost every day. And it is a really, really exciting thing to see, you know, 3,000 head of cattle move from one 30 acre paddock to another uh, on a daily basis. I mean, literally the earth shapes beneath you. It's it's a pretty moving experience. Um, And it's because they're so hard from an impact perspective on the land. Um, we, we've, we can talk a lot about animals positively impacting the land by disrupting the soil using their, their you know, their heavy hooves or their, you know, long tongues, you know, <laughs> snatching the grasses up, you know, cattle don't bite like sheep and goats. So they, they graze in a different way, you know, uh, poultry species impacting it in even a, a, a further different way, scratching the soil distributing manure uh you know pecking the the dirt for forage for bugs and grubs each animal impacts the land in a different way it's a beautiful thing when you when you remove your focus from just you know what we once were just on a cow to uh multiple species of livestock oh and the land oh and the community you know it it's it it really is an exciting thing so Uh, Long story short, we move uh, cattle in the warm season every day, uh, Mm -hmm. poultry species once a week, hogs every couple of weeks, Um, you know, it's, it's, there's always something going on.
0: Wow, I would love to be there and and just hang around for a couple of weeks and watch all you that should farm. yeah that come would on. be great you can That'd you can great. thaw
1: out down here with us
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i do note on your website that you actually have cabins and you can come and stay on the farm and observe and be a part of that uh we if, do and i
1: and i want to comment on it you know so many of of the people that we serve uh and the people that are probably going to listen to this podcast have focused on systems whether it's food production or you know pet systems or whatever it is working working systems and they've they've made the decision that they want to learn more and uh and so we have been just uh sort of overwhelmed to become to find ourselves in the tourism business we we're not hospitalitarians we're nice southern people but having people here uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, was never really part of the plan. Uh, Again, we're farmers, but we we found that there were so many consumers that uh, were genuinely interested in how their food was produced that uh, we bit the bullet and being in the rural area that we are put in some cabins, uh, later a restaurant, even later uh, a general store, and there's now somebody on the farm uh, that wants to be entertained, either through education or some other mean, uh, you know, seven days a week, which is which is a lot of fun.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. I, I would love to visit, but I would guess that the typical visitor, the typical consumer visitor to your farm, who has heard about it and ordered some of your products, enjoyed some of your products, and appreciates the way you do things is generally unaware of the role that dogs play in your operation. And we were, we were talking about the systems and the diversity that you are working with. And that calls for a diversity of canine partners kind of plugged into different places in your operation. And so um, here we go, farm dog audience. Let's dig into these dogs a little bit. So I take it that you have some herding dogs on your farm, is that correct?
1: That's right. So we, uh, you know, when, when we think about, you know, the, the, the animals, the, the different animals that live here, species of animals that live here, you know, there are obviously, you know, remnants, so cattle, hogs, and sheep that are herds. Mm-hmm. There are then flocks, like chickens, turkeys, ducks, geese, skinnies, the, those guys, um, there are, and, and those are considered livestock those are food animals for us. Mm -hmm. Um, there's then the wildlife population, bobcats and deer and raccoons and possums. You know, there are insect populations. Uh, and then there are the, the working livestock. Um, we, we have not gotten into draft horses, pulling plows, uh, and that sort of thing, but we really, really love and appreciate working dogs. We have uh, some herding dogs that uh, help us keep um, the the tight movements that we enjoy with specifically our small ruminants. We don't have to use herding dogs with our cattle, um, but then there there's a different uh, different set of dogs, and those are the guardian dogs. They're my personal favorite.
0: Well, let's, let's just dive in there and let's start with, I asked you about the herding dogs first, but uh, let's just go ahead and talk about those livestock guardian dogs. So how many livestock guardians do you have? uh, And what breeds do you typically use on the farm?
1: So we have about a dozen guardian dogs currently, uh, and we need some more. So the uh, we, we first got them back in 2008 when we introduced the first different species to the farm. So again, I mentioned we were a monoculture of cattle for like a generation and then some. And in 2008, my dad finally gave in to my begging um, for some sheep. My granddad called sheep pasture maggots. So that lets (laughs) you know where he stood with regard to introducing a different species. But my dad was only convinced because sheep um, preferentially uh, eat what cattle leave behind. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have uh, cattle in a 30-acre paddock, they're going to preferentially graze certain grasses versus sheep who are going to preferentially graze something else they're going to graze, you know more of the the woody forbs and so um you know he in in his mind he thought you know what do i have to lose it's not like we're going to be competing for grasses it'll make her shut up and you know it'll it'll be something you know nice to look at that's different so we got some sheep um in 2008 or nine maybe 2007 it's all running together but the early 2000s, and we lost some to predators, coyotes, um, you know, who who knows what else got them, but we, 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 they were not, it was not a successful first flock, uh, wild dogs that, you know, have just kind of gone feral, and so, um, you know, again, you know, dad was like, well, you know, we, we can't, we obviously can't have sheep without something guarding them. We need to get a guardian dog. And I was like, hell yeah, that's excellent. Well, how <laughs> cute can you possibly be? Uh, no problem. So uh, we went and picked up a couple of uh, Great Pyrenees dogs.
0: Okay. And
1: they were incredible. They were the the, the matriarch and patriarch of the, the you know, who, who's still here today. Uh, and they they did an excellent job um you know we, we didn't really know what to do with them we we relied on their instinctive behavior and we were lucky to find some that had been working there was a, a yeah. couple of older uh, folks that were getting out of sheep farming and so they uh, sold off all of their livestock but had the dogs and the dogs were not content becoming pets they were working dogs and wanted to remain working dogs and so as sad as it was for them they um they offered to sell them to us so that those dogs could continue to work and they did Um, so those were the the first two that we got we are in the deep South, where it is incredibly hot and incredibly humid. So the long hair that uh, Great Pyrenees uh, have was tough. Um, you know, they, it, the hair would mat, and the dogs would be, uh, at least initially, um, you know n- not not maintained and groomed you know they were they were working dogs and we we had no idea you know what to do with them so we kind of turned them loose and fed them every day they were they were on a really nice raw diet from our uh, processing plant oh, uh, yeah but they 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 weren't groomed and so the hair became an issue they were hot uh, and so we started integrating another species the Akbosh uh, mm-hmm. dogs And they have a shorter hair and we uh we we really like those a lot
0: too okay so a little great pyrenees foundation and some akbash did i see something on your website about some anatolian as well or
1: we did yeah the anatolians were were good um they roam they seemed to their boundaries were so much larger than Mm. what the great pyrenees and akbash were um, you know, it, they, they seemed less content with staying on our side of, you know, on our property. They, they really wanted to roam and they'd disappear for a day at a time uh, and leave the, the herds, un, you know, unprotected for some period of time. So I, I was less of an Anatolian fan. I, I really liked the Opbosh and Great Pyrenees breeds. They just seemed to stay with the, the herds better but uh we have had anatolians in the
0: past okay okay well that leads me to a question about your the scale of your operation which in total acreage is is very large but the fact that you are applying a great deal of management to your grazing means you're typically grazing them in relatively small tracks or paddocks and and rotating them so does that mean that you need a dog a guardian dog with a a smaller tighter range
1: Yes, that's, that's correct. So the farm is about 3,200 acres, and that is you know, sort of our home place here in Bluffton. We also manage the vegetation for a solar company uh, named Silicon Ranch, um, about six miles from where our farm is, from where I'm sitting. Um, and so we have pretty much relocated our entire sheep operation to managing the vegetation underneath those panels. And with that is is the need for, again, more more dogs. So um, we, we are now using more polywire with our uh, grazing paddocks so that we can be very strategic in, you know, the size of the herd or flock and the amount of grazing that they have and moving them very frequently and very regularly. And so we have, Uh, had to increase the number of dogs due to that polywire and smaller set model. Um, We don't have any dogs guarding our cattle, but we do have dogs guarding our poultry uh, as well as our sheep and goats.
0: Wonderful. You've left me with a ton of questions. Where do we go? Um, Let's Let's talk about that solar grazing. So you have Enti- basically your entire sheep flock managing the vegetation on that solar farm is that correct that's right
1: just under a thousand ewes
0: okay and uh, and so you do put dogs out on that uh, how, how many dogs typically would you put with that group
1: um there are probably five there uh, okay. at at uh the solar farm currently now we we do have the uh Uh, a gift. And the gift is the solar panels are obviously not cheap. Um, They are expensive pieces of of equipment. And there's something like 340,000 of them on this property. (laughs) So the first thing that the solar company did was build a 10 or 12 foot uh, barbed wire fence around the perimeter. So our our predator pressure there is less than on our home farm which has five tensile electric wire you know coyotes mm-hmm. can come and go as they please um so the the gift of that um you know that that very tall fence gives us uh, certainly less pressure from you know coyotes and foxes and whatever else.
0: Mm -hmm. And is that enough to contain your guardian dogs too? So if you had one that had a tendency to wander a little bit further, would, can they find a way through that? No. No, they can't. Okay. Well,
1: they they can't at the solar property. Now, here on the home place, yes. And that was my issue with the Anatolian shepherds is that they uh, you know they they didn't care where our landline was, even though our livestock were only going to be on our farm. They 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 just went wild. They turned loose on it, and they always came back, but you just never knew when.
0: Right. Okay. All right. Well, that's fascinating, and I have tons of questions I could ask you about solar grazing, <laughs> but we'll save that for another time. Um, so uh, this this uh, podcast is presented by goats on the go which is a company i own and goats on the go has an arm a brand that also does solar grazing so i'm Ooh. fascinated by that yep
1: yes very very neat you use goats under the panels
0: we do not we use sheep also so we, goats on the go and sheep on the go with sheep on the go being targeted to more sheep centric applications as we say so sure um
1: that's great. And you, 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 do you have dogs guarding those sheep?
0: Um, so we have, that would depend. We have affiliates all across the country operating under our brand, and they make their own operational decisions as to whether to include dogs or not. Um, uh-huh. Generally, uh, our dogs and our targeted grazing operation are reserved for really remote locations um, and a little more with a little more predator pressure when we do sure. Uh, more weed and brush control with goats in, say, parks and more urban and suburban environments. We typically don't use the livestock guardian dogs. They mm-hmm. just create more problems than they solve oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So um, now when you're on your solar grazing operations, you've got five dogs. You've got a thousand head of ewes all there at the same in one group, or do you start at different ends of the of the solar farm and try to meet in the middle over time or...
1: One group. So they, they, they march them across as, as one, uh, one flock. They'll obviously separate males and, and, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, weaning and that sort of thing. You know, they, they, they'll, at times there are more than one herd, but we, we really like bigger herds, uh, more frequent movements. Um, that's, that's been sort of our model.
0: Right. To stay on top of the vegetation and take full advantage of it, but also keep it below the, the solar panels
1: well and we're also trying to integrate poultry with the solar grazing as well you know so uh the, the panels provide excellent shade uh for birds and so you you wind up with smaller herds running all over each other you know it's it's like tic-tac-toe and oh, both, both everybody's always moving so uh-huh. you know it, it works if uh if there's no boundaries if you can just move forever but uh, you know, and my dad's famous saying is, "I only want the land that touches mine." Uh, he only <laughs> wants to purchase the land that touches his. And so, you know, we 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 have our boundaries, and we've found that you know these these bigger grazing groups, um, while we're still applying the same pounds per acre, uh, you know, like with a with a mob grazing type model, uh, these these bigger moves and bigger herds are easier for us with the polycultural production system that we've
0: got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Um, let's move over to the poultry that you mentioned, because I know that as you said that, there are lots of audience members saying, yes, talk about guardian dogs for poultry. I just thought we've had a lot of folks express interest in that. And so where to start? I think one question that's on my mind is, do the same dogs that work in your sheep and goat operation do they can they just be flipped over and applied to your poultry
1: no we bond them at a very young age um you know we when when we have a litter of puppies or a dog it's either been raised with a specific species or uh it's it's pretty much at weaning put with a specific species uh we found that putting them you know, even putting more than one percent, they spend more time playing with each other than they do guarding the the livestock. So we have even um, you know taking taking them one at a time and if it's destined for poultry, putting it with poultry. If it's destined for small ruminants, it's you know put with small ruminants uh, right, you know very early on um you know the the puppies are fed with the sets um you know having employees not love and uh you know kiss and rub and you know all over them and it there's nothing harder that's one reason why (laughs) i am so glad that that is not my job because if i was responsible for feeding uh you know a a small ruminant uh guardian puppy there's no way I could walk away without just loving all over it um but from what I understand from the production teams um it's pretty important that um you know you you treat them as a working dog and not as a pet so um you know they're they're you know put at a very young age with that species and if it's if it's destined to be with small ruminants, that's where it stays for the rest of its life
0: okay and you know that a dog is destined to be with small ruminants because you just pluck them out randomly or do you look for particular traits early on that that make you say this is a good chicken dog this is a good sheep and goat dog
1: no we're not that strategic if if we if we need somebody in small ruminants then that's where that puppy goes if we need somebody in poultry that's that's where it goes and honestly you know it if if that's what it's uh bonded with and trained to do we we have not had you know uh we have not had issue uh it's you know that the the uh you know the, the lack of distraction it has has been helpful uh in that when when that puppy's bonded to sheep and goats that's where it stays
0: mm, okay so we're relying, uh, in your case, 100% on the bonding to the right species to, to make that into the, the dog that's appropriate for the type of livestock it's going to be with. That's right. Um, and is there, other than just putting the chicken dog with the chickens to bond as a puppy... And not giving it too much attention. Is there anything different in the approach you take to develop a poultry dog as as to one that will be with the sheep and the goats? Any other strategies that vary?
1: No, I, you know from what I understand, the the production managers rely heavily on that bonding. Um, you know the uh, you know the, the 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 seriousness of of feeding it and not loving all over it uh, and treating it like you know somebody's lap dog uh that that seems to have worked for us in the past now the the herding class is far different we don't train those dogs you know here we send them to a herding school i think in mississippi that has historically uh kept the dogs for several weeks at a time um you know and and trained them to do specific things and to follow specific commands so that that's a much different process
0: different different story entirely um but with your uh livestock guardian dogs then um clearly the the process the principles are the same no matter what animal they're going to end up with ultimately um how about train training time or duration how long can can a puppy be trusted? Can a young dog be trusted with sheep and goats earlier on than it can be trusted with poultry, for example?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, puppies that play with, uh, with chickens during that bonding time, you don't have, uh, you don't have puppies uh, killing lambs by playing with it you have puppies you know killing chickens by playing you know by, by you know just general curiosity so the 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 level of trust that exists you know they'll they'll set up portable kennels within that polywire set you know the puppy is allowed to be with that species for you know an hour maybe let's just say a a, you know supervised hour and then it goes back up you know it stays with the chickens all the time but there is that barrier of uh when it's actually with the chickens you know or with the sheep and goats
0: okay so uh it seems to me to be almost like an inverted bonding pen rather than put some chickens in a pen with the puppy to bond or putting the kennel in the larger chicken enclosure that's right. Um, the The rotational paddock of the chicken enclosure and, and we're letting it out periodically, but only, only under supervision. Then we're putting it back in that kennel. So it's surrounded by chickens all the time. All the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, how, how long age wise, at what age are you usually producing an accomplished chicken dog or poultry dog?
1: i wish i knew that i, I don't know I, I know it incrementally increases over time but i don't i don't know what the age is that it is considered a chicken dog or a, a small ruminant dog
0: okay okay so you are dealing with many of the same predators that we are all across the uh country you, you maybe don't have the big predators that they have out west although i'm sure you have you might have a cougar or something occasionally or bobcats um But really, when it comes to your poultry, the chickens haven't always been your biggest concern predator, or pardon me, the the coyotes and such haven't been your biggest concern predator-wise. Is that right?
1: That's right. So um, probably in 2000 and... 12 or 13, we noticed our first bald eagle show up on the farm, and we thought it was the coolest thing. I mean, how American can you get? You know, you drink your cup of coffee, and there's an eagle soaring, you know, over, you know, over the sunrise. I mean, it it was just out of a storybook, um, and we loved it. Um, you know, it was, I saw the eagle today. Hey, if you want to see the eagle go over to, you know, wherever, the, you know, the west side of Devil's Ranch or whatever it is. So the next, uh, the next winter, you know, they're obviously migratory. So the, the next fall, October or so, we had two or three bald eagles. And we thought, man, this is awesome. That eagle had such a great time here. He told two of his friends and brought them back. This is, this is exciting. And so, uh, they wintered here in the next year, the next, uh, October, we had probably 10 show up (laughs) and they started doing some damage. Um, we, with, with the smaller numbers of eagles lost some poultry, but not, not many, you know, the Mm -hmm. Eagles were killing to eat, which, you know, is, is like anything else, you know, it's nature's tithe. But when you had 10 or 12, we started noticing some competitive killing that was existing with the equal population. They were no longer killing to eat, they were killing as a sport uh, and killing to prove hierarchy and dominance over each other. Oh, interesting. And so it became a bit, uh, a bit destructive, a bit excessive and a bit expensive Uh, Because not only were we losing birds that we, you know, we would find remains for, but, you know, they were killing them and carrying them off, you know, they would kill for sport in the sets, but they would kill to eat by carrying it away. So we had birds disappear, we'd find, uh, you know, just the feet of a chicken uh, a mile from where there there was even chickens uh, living. And so um, that that was problematic and it it only continued to get worse. You know, the I wish the story was like, and then we were able to trap them and relocate them to somewhere else, but the unfortunately that's not the way the story's gonna go. The next year there were probably 30 or 40, and the next year there were probably 80. So up until uh, a year or two ago, the populations pretty much doubled every year to where. Um, maybe two years ago, two or three years ago, we two years ago. so two, uh, we had uh, over 80 counted in one sitting. So we had some some guests uh, visit the farm and you know, they, they couldn't believe it and we said, no, 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 let's count. Let's you know, you start counting and I will start counting and we'll see what we come up with. I think somebody counted 82 and somebody else counted 85. So we say over 80 bald eagles in one sitting, Uh, you know, at one time. So there were well over 100 bald eagles, uh, you know, here, and they were doing a tremendous amount of damage. What we believe is that, you know, these predator species have uh, decreased in population, they've become endangered, they've become, uh, you know, extinct, whatever it is, and uh, it's it's for several reasons, you know, we've removed their habitats, uh, but we've also removed their food sources. Uh, You know, back when farmers raised animals outside, you know, eagles weren't concentrated to one place. They were able to feed, uh, you know, everywhere. But now animal agriculture has such, so largely been uh, confined indoors that these predator species are having a harder time Uh, feeding themselves. And and now they result to eating roadkill, you know, the first couple of years, you would find eagles, you you couldn't find them eating roadkill. And, you know, uh, it it got very clear that uh, it was all about the food system. They were, you know, eating dead, dead, you know, run over raccoons or whatever else they could find. And so, We believe that what brought the Eagles here is our production system where we raise livestock out outdoors and, um, you know, their ability to feed very easily, um, you know, has allowed them to sort of accumulate in the masses.
0: Mm -hmm. What kind of numbers were we talking about at the peak of your losses? I mean, can you, can you put a dollar figure to it or a count to it?
1: uh, very easily. We, we were documenting this for the LIP program, the livestock identity program. Um, and I think if a set had, you know, 2000 birds over its, um, I guess five week time on pasture in you know, the first three or four weeks they're in the brooder. So the five weeks that they were actually outside and could have potentially been, uh, eaten by eagles, um, we would lose 50% of the set. So we were literally losing half out of a 2,000 bird set. We would, we would only be harvesting a thousand birds by the end of that nine, eight, nine, 10 week grow out.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Well, and, and it was, it's even further, more complicated by the fact that, um, if you've ever raised chickens, you know, that it's very important that they don't they have as little stress as possible hell any animal that you're you're raising you want to have as little stress as possible and raising them outdoors there's always going to be some stress but these eagles kept these poultry sets under so much stress Mm. that the birds struggled to gain weight instead of you know foraging on pasture and eating you know out of the supplemental feeder they stayed huddled up uh you know uh, underneath the the mobile shade structures that we have for them um you know just just out of uh you
0: know fear it's a great point and interesting that we can talk in those terms uh with regard to the economic damage caused by the stress about chickens but we can also talk about it with large animals like cattle we had a guest on from uh, northern montana who would talk about who talked about The fact that i can't actually point to bodies of dead calves or dead cattle from grizzlies grizzly bears and cougars and that sort of thing but i can tell you that the loss is real just from the lost weight gain and sickness due to stress and that sort of thing and that adding livestock guardian dogs can help solve that problem So at some point you said, uh, now, let me ask you this. Were you using livestock guardian dogs before the eagles became a problem with your poultry?
1: We were, we had already, uh, integrated, uh, guardian dogs into our poultry flocks and, and really enjoyed it. Um, you know, guardian dogs by nature, most of the time are nocturnal, which is when most predators come out, or at least ours have historically been nocturnal, Mm -hmm. you know, eagles, um, eagles seem to do their their damage in you know at at dawn and dusk so um you know the getting the dogs uh to where they were um you know always on alert day and night was never it was never a success story um you know dogs had historically gone to work after the sun went down. You know, mm-hmm. they'd stay up, you know, you know, barking. I could hear them on my front porch. You know, the, the, the very, uh, don't come over here. Bark, um, you know, that was the, the proactive, I'm a whoop your butt if you come over here, bark. <laughs> and, you know, we, we didn't need Eagle control at night. Eagles were nesting at night. We needed Eagle control at dawn and dusk. And so, uh, and we, we don't have dogs at every set. Uh, we, we had them strategically placed, you know, around, but we, we had and continue to have more sets than we do dogs. So okay. our guard dogs have, have been great at, uh, you know, keeping sharp tooth predators at bay, but aerial attacks still happen regularly.
0: Okay. So you've not found the dogs, the dogs in themselves are not a solution to the Eagles in any number, any type. I mean,
1: no, we, the, the only solution we have found for Eagles is that we were granted a harassment permit. So we can use fireworks and cannons and other types of deterrents to keep the Eagles from landing in the sets. And that, that has been effective. It's very expensive. It takes a person or people uh, riding around 100 acres, constantly firing fireworks into the air uh, because eagles are very smart. You know, they, they know that if the guy in the white truck has a bird banger, but not the guy on the tractor, you know they they become very uh confident in entering sets when the tractor comes in but not the white truck they see the white truck and they <laughs> they fly away but not you know not 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 when the tractors around or not when the white trucks around so you know uh they they really learn rather quickly who carried these deterrent uh you know tools and who did not
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, when, it was it, it continues to be very baffling
0: Yeah, so it's just an ongoing fight that you're fighting. Um, What's the current status? Uh...
1: We still have eagles, not as many. Um, You know, I I don't think that there are over 100 like there were when we counted 80-something in one sitting. I, I don't think we have that number anymore. But you can pretty much see an eagle every day at dawn and dusk at White Oak Pastures if you're looking. I mean, I saw one, I, I forgot my dog, My not guard dog. He is far less productive and trustworthy and useful, but my pet dog this morning. So I had to run back home. I live on the farms, so it's not very far. I had to run back home and oh, just in the probably three and a half, four mile um, you know, highway stint between my office and my house, I saw two eagles fly over the road.
0: Wow. Do you feel like that the the dogs offer any protection from the eagles at all, or they are solely a tool for um, land-based predators?
1: Yeah, you know, I think they help. I, I certainly don't think they hurt anything, but they are not trained for aerial attack. I know that there are dogs that are trained for aerial attack. Um, our ours are just not. Uh, they 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 don't see those types of things as problems. I've got some photos that if if you want, I can send them to you, but, uh, you know, the, the dog will be, you know, laying down, uh, you know, and their, their eagles just, you know, eating on a chicken. Um, you know, so it's, it's just a different, you know, they, they, uh, that wasn't in the job description when they came on board. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm sure there are some listeners right now saying my guardian dog is great with crows and ravens and, and hawks and eagles. And, um, I'm sure that's the case, but what you report is not has not been unusual as far as the conversations we've had with other uh, farmers and ranchers. You can go back to, our audience members can go back to I think our third or fourth episode where uh, sheep operation in Canada essentially had to change the entire way that they produce sheep because the ravens um, were so terrible and the dogs could chase ravens all day long and more ravens would just circle in behind them and and harass lambs. So that does seem to be a challenge that even if we have good livestock guardian dogs, they're probably not the entire solution.
1: Not, not for us. And and another thing is, you know, the, the quantity, you know, if we have chickens spread out over a hundred acres, you know, having dogs in each set becomes, uh, you know, practical but less and less practical um you know it it'd be very easy to to put chickens in the house and have dogs you know two guards one on each one on each end oh yeah we've done that once before that's called commodity industrial agriculture but uh you know when you when you have things spread out in a very natural production system um you know it's 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 very hard to provide a one size fits all tool like dogs to each set
0: yeah you've been using that term set, which I uh, infer to mean a setup of poly wire uh, or other type of fencing from which you will move the poultry eventually. Um, How, describe how how much acreage is in that set, how many birds?
1: It varies. Um, Yeah, I would say that the set would be, you know, two acres or so, and there'd be maybe a thousand birds on that, you know, acre or two set. So it's, it's very 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 large
0: okay so putting the eagle problem aside how many livestock guardian dogs would you like in each set if you could make wave your magic wand and have all the dogs you needed at just the right age for every set what would you like to see
1: talking about how many dogs yeah how you? many how many um you know there's let's see probably 15 to 20 more
0: Mm-hmm. Fifteen to twenty more than you have, mm-hmm. so that translates to how many in each set that One. you'd like to have. One in each set, okay. So you're in need of more. Is that because your growth is exceeding the pace at which you can keep providing good, um, good competent livestock guardian dogs? Or is there some other bottleneck there that's preventing you from having all the dogs you need?
1: Uh, you know, we we have historically only. Um had our own guardian dogs we have not bought guardian dogs we bought a few you know initial breeding pairs but we you know have lost a few along the way and so we we just are not producing puppies like we were in the past so i'm i'm sure that i could find 15 more you know guardian dogs but um you know the 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 best case scenario for us was was having puppies on the farm
0: Mm hmm. And do you feel like how how difficult is it to zero in on that exact tipping point where you've got the right number of dogs so that you come out ahead economically, like your losses are, um, don't exceed or the, the cost of the dogs, you come out at the, at the bottom line, like the cost of the dogs doesn't exceed the cost of the losses, um, as opposed to having too many dogs or more than you need. Is that difficult to pinpoint?
1: Obviously, because we haven't pinpointed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. So it's it's, it's obviously difficult, uh, you know, but, but it, you know, we're also in between, you know, management people. Uh, we our uh, our poultry production manager has moved on and we've hired a new one. And so, if it's his wish to get dogs in every set, and I'm sure he'll do every damn thing under you know under the sun to get them, uh, it was not a priority for our previous poultry production manager. For whatever reason, you know the the, the value that they provided was not worth the effort that it took. So, you know who, who knows? Um, you know, production managers run departments pretty autonomously here. So if the new poultry production manager wants guard dogs in every set, I bet, I bet if we have this, uh, I bet if we we uh, if we meet again in you know a year and uh, you know that was his wish, then that's that's what will have
0: happened. There's an interesting dynamic when you have predator losses, and and you think, well, the solution is livestock guardian dogs. Um, and I need to strive to have just the right number of livestock guardian dogs so that i eliminate all predator losses. Well, on paper, that may actually not pencil out. There's a cost to having all of those dogs. There's a cost to the time you put into having puppies and conditioning puppies. But I think, especially from the perspective of a small farm, and I suspect that many of our listeners are small farmers, it's just hard to tolerate predator losses even if allowing some predator loss would be more financially advantageous than keeping lots of livestock guardian dogs.
1: I agree. You know, and, and there's also the, the, uh, the growth uh, potential. You know, let's just say you've got a perfect number of livestock guardian dogs today, but then, you know, from a, a, a farm perspective, the pandemic happens and the demand for whatever you're raising goes up 250%. Uh, you know the the ability of having you know uh more dogs takes time. You know, mm-hmm. how long does it take to get you a, a dog? And is scaling up your, you know, in your plan and what happens to the flocks in between the time in which you're scaling up and there's uh, you know, it just
0: right. it, it's
1: it's you know, like everything else, supply and demand and, you know, every other uh you know, ends of the spectrum, you know, it's finding, finding that right number is probably never going to happen. And when you do find that right number, uh, it won't be right for very long.
0: Right. Right. I'd like to talk about your herding dogs just a little bit in one particular aspect of your herding dogs. Um, and I, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but, um, for our audience, when Jenny and I were trading emails, Jenny responded and said, you know, I'm not a dog trainer. So, I can't really talk about dog training that much. And I said, that's fine. And But you've hit on one really interesting aspect for me personally, and I hope for our audience too. And that is that you send all your dogs to professional trainers. Um, and I, I am going to be buying a herding dog sometime in the near future. And one of the big questions for me is, do I get a puppy? I love puppies. I like training dogs, but is a puppy the best way for me to go? Maybe I should just buy a fully trained dog. Or maybe I should buy a puppy and let it meet the family for a few weeks and send it off to a trainer. Um, That's true. Yeah, right. So tell me about, now you're a large farm. Like, what? What's the decision making around um, sending your dogs to a professional trainer? And do you raise the puppies yourself from your own stock and send them off? Or do you just say, we need a dog, we need it trained, we just don't have time to mess with it.
1: Yes, we we do not raise our own herding dogs. Uh, Unlike the guardian dogs, we have either purchased, you know, Kelpie or Collie uh, herding dogs as puppies and sent them off or uh, traded with someone who was a trainer that had a finished dog. Um, you know, and and we really pretty much only use herding dogs for sheep and goats. Um, We have had uh, some production uh, managers in the past that have not liked to use dogs. They preferred four-wheelers and that was fine, you know, that that worked. Uh, We have had production managers in the past that were really really gifted with regard to being able to work with dogs and i think you either are a dog person or you're not a dog person and if you're not a dog person you have to train from what i understand you have to train yourself to then understand how to work with trained dogs Mm -hmm. and if you're not willing to uh, train yourself to work with your trained dogs they won't be trained for very long um and so we have um found that those with the passion to work with dogs um you know need really good trained dogs to work with and those that do not want to work with dogs do not need dogs to ride in the truck with them those are pets (laughs) they might be of of a herding breed but make no mistake that's a pet
0: right so when you when you have a production manager who really values the dog work and embraces it, does white oak pastures own the dogs, or does the production manager get to use their dog in your operation?
1: We've had it both ways if If a production manager has trained dogs, they can stay uh you know we don't have to own the dog. If we have to own the dog, we will we but if 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 somebody comes with trained dogs, then let's just use your trained dogs.
0: mm-hmm, okay. You're doing so many really innovative things there at White Oak Pastures with regard to um, you know, highly managed grazing, regenerative agriculture, um, looking fully at the earth and the community and the local economics and the well-being of your livestock together as a package. I wonder if you've considered um, whether handling goats with or without dog, pardon me, handling goats and sheep and other livestock with and without dogs is a better better or worse management tool when it comes to stress and other impacts on the animals?
1: So the, the question is a good one, but uh, a, c- a couple of different answers. Uh, one is most of the moves, most of the handling is from one paddock to the next. It's not like we're rounding them up to put them on trailers and hauling them 15 miles and then releasing Uh them for two days and then rounding them up and you know it is pretty much uh opening a gate and moving them from one pasture to the next that's right next door
0: from a place where there's less feed to a place where there's brand new fresh feed so you don't
1: need much motivation in in those scenarios um so The the first answer is we we really were blessed because all of our land is contiguous. So we we don't have to haul and round up and load and unload. That's just not part of our production system. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the second part of that is I will say there's nothing more entertaining than watching a person who knows how to work dogs move herds and flocks with dogs. It is um it is incredible I I respect it tremendously it is low stress it you know it's it's low stress on the animal and it's low stress on the person you know it um I have two legs and I can run x miles per hour I can walk x miles per hour they've got four legs and they can they can handle it a hell of a lot better than I can um so I I you know I can't say enough good things about um using herding dogs with livestock just from a from a from a you know a a person who who watches a lot of moves it's a really beautiful thing but if that's not the the production managers wish if that's not their style then they should not they should not try to use them unless they're serious about it
0: yeah I was gonna say the flip side of that coin is that forcing dog work onto a manager who doesn't fully embrace it just increases the stress for everybody, including the animals. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it,
1: it, it, that, that's not the type of management we have here. You know, we, we have hired production managers that, that use dogs in their everyday life. They have multiple dogs that they rotate in and out. We have hired managers who scoffed at dogs and wanted to do it in a different way. And that's fine too. Uh, if, if they're responsible for moving the livestock every day or every week, got to get them moved and it doesn't matter with me as long as they are moved uh you know in a in a in a way that's good for the animal and good for them mm. um but i will say that i i'm it's it's far more pleasurable to watch a move that happens with herding dogs than without
0: <laughs> absolutely that's fascinating stuff jenny and i want to be respectful of your time today so just on our way out the door here, we're going to take care of a farm dog uh, tradition, which is to ask you if you have a favorite farm dog or a favorite story about a farm dog. And I, I've in poking around your website and noticed that you have dogs all over white oak pastures of all sorts. They all qualify as farm dogs because they're canines living on your farm. So can you tell us about one of them?
1: you so um, I had a, a boxer um, let's see over 10 years ago and she was the light of my life she has not she she uh, we had to put her down in 2019 and it was devastating we uh, my wife and I got a golden retriever um, who is a pet make no mistake there is no working uh, that happens at all but the golden retriever has turned out to be a great dog. We have a five-year-old and we have enjoyed some, some really lovely uh, 80 degree December and January days where uh, Gus, the golden retriever has kept our five-year-old entertained for hours. So uh, there's a lot of noble work that happens with dogs, but as, as a mother, if I, if I had to pick a farm dog that I, uh, that I want to highly endorse and give a shout out to, it is Gus who provides free babysitting.
0: <laughs> all right, Jenny, thanks so much for telling us about Gus and for all the other other information you gave our audience today. It's been a lot of fun and really, really valuable. So thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me, here.
0: All right, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Farm Dog. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please subscribe, leave us a positive review, and tell someone about it. Thanks.